Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to ICO 101, a crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. At ICO 101, we look at initial coin offerings and initial token offerings from an average consumer's perspective. We preview pre and post ICOs and talk to ICO leaders about their companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in ICOs. Crypto 101 Media is changing how we will be releasing the ICO 101 podcast. This episode will be the last episode that ICO 101 will air on its own podcast feed. All future ICO 101 episodes will be released on the Crypto 101 podcast feed. We are not canceling ICO 101 podcasts. Our listenership is strong and we will continue to produce great content regarding all things ICOs and I will still be hosting ICO 101. When you subscribe to the Crypto 101 feed, you will get notifications when new episodes are released as you already do. Crypto 101 currently releases three to four episodes per week. After today, keep an eye out for the ICO 101 logo with Aaron and Paul on the Crypto 101 feed. When you see that logo, that's an ICO 101 episode. It's that simple. We believe this move strengthens the 101 brand and makes consuming all things Crypto 101 more convenient. So please find Crypto 101 podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive rating and subscribe. It helps us stay in the top charts. Visit our website at Crypto101podcast.com. Become a patron and join the Facebook group. Please follow me on Twitter at Sup Aaron Paul, as well as ICO 101 Twitter handle at ICO 101 podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them and I'll try to respond as fast as I can. Just as a reminder, I am not a professional investment institution, bank, lawyer, or accountant. I'm not offering any legal accounting or financial advice. So please make sure you listen, take notes, research, and make your own informed decisions regarding ICOs and ITOs. A few weeks back, I did a preview on Turnio. After the show aired, I received a private message from one of the co-founders, Ian Kane. Ian said he wanted to discuss with me some of my unintentional inaccuracies and to try to help me understand what they are doing. So we jumped on the phone to have a conversation. Ian is an awesome dude. It was a great conversation. I really wanted to get him on the show to talk about their project. So that's where this interview comes from. I hope you enjoy it and be on the lookout because soon Matthew, Aaron, and myself will be getting back on the phone with Ian and the rest of the team to discuss with them ICO valuations. Why are ICOs valued the way that they are? What's the deal in the ICO community with such high values and where do these numbers come from? Why or why not register with the SEC and what's the fuss all about? We're going to tackle these questions and hopefully a whole lot more with Ian and his team in the near future. So stay tuned. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ian Kane of Turnio. Ian Kane, co-founder of Turnio. What's up, bro? Hey, man. How are you? Thank I'm you for good. having me on. I appreciate you making the time. I appreciate you reaching out to me. And I'm looking forward to telling the listeners how we got hooked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. <laughs> so, look, let's start with the real basics. Who are you? What is your position and your role in Turnio? And how did you get involved? So, my name is Ian Kane. 
I am one of the co-founders of Turnio. We are a blockchain company. My other co-founders are Daniel Goldman and Bryant Maroney. There's more information on both Daniel and Bryant on our website, turnio.io. Let's see, how did I get started with Turnio? You know, it's been kind of an ongoing process. I've actually known Daniel, one of my co-founders, for, for many years. Back at my first company, he was actually a client. So I've just known Daniel kind of professionally and kept in touch throughout the years. Most recently, I actually worked with Daniel at Daniel's own company, Ad3. And Ad3, that's actually how I connected with Brian. So I've known Brian for maybe two, three years now, mm-hmm. and Daniel for six, seven, eight or so. That's um, how you came up good. with the name then. I hate to cut you off. Is that right? No, 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 no. So, oh, okay. the, name, so, so the name Turnio, Turnio actually means a series of three, right? Okay. So Turnio, our our use case is, well, really functions around uh, digital advertising. And in any kind of digital advertising transaction, there are always three parties involved. That is the advertiser who's buying the, the ad, the publisher or the website who's selling the ad, and the user who the ad is, is showing through. So that's right. how we came up with the name Turnio because um, the digital advertising landscape, that's really going to... Uh, first industry and first use case. Well, I thought I was a genius for a minute. <laughs> but it, listen, man, it works for both, too. So if you want to just cut out what I said and just go with what you said for this this podcast, we can do that. Oh, no, no, man. We're cool. Let's keep rolling, <laughs> man. Let's keep rolling. <laughs> Turnio can have multiple meanings, and it can mean whatever you want to, to whoever you are. So. I got it. So what's your position and role in the company? Uh, how did you get involved? So with Daniel and the other gentleman, I forget his name. I didn't write it down, but you guys got involved. and Well, basically, we, we got together. We were all working together at Ad3. Um, again, I know Daniel for a little bit longer than I knew Brian, but both are, are super talented guys. And just, you know, working with them, you know, it really made sense to partner up with them on a venture like Turnio. Basically, the way that it, it arose was that really just kind of identifying a lot of the inefficiencies, um, mm-hmm. primarily in programmatic advertising. So my background has always been in digital advertising to some capacity. I started at a very small startup where I was actually the first employee. Lucky for me, the company grew to roughly $50 million or so a year. And being the first employee, I got to wear many hats and kind of see firsthand the things that you do and the things that you don't do to build a successful startup. Mm-hmm. Daniel, too, has had a lot of experience building companies, very entrepreneurial. Brian, one of the most talented developers that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And so, you know, we got to talking and we were working on Ad3, which is a, an advertising technology startup primarily focused around video. And we're just seeing that, hey, there's, there's a lot of problems. There is a complete lack of transparency. There is a whole lot of advertising fraud. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a growing industry, but the incentives overall within the industry are not aligned. There are lengthy payment terms for the publishers. So, you know, a lot of companies use these lengthy payment ter- terms to sustain their business, which is a problem because a lot of them aren't creating any value. So anyway, long story short, over you know my experience and Daniel's experience, we're like, there's got to be a way to solve it because the industry itself isn't sustainable. And around that same time, probably, I don't know, I've been in crypto for maybe two or three years, kind of looking at it and just seeing you know how blockchain could be applied. There was a lot of synergy and there was nobody in digital advertising who was actually trying to solve these problems or using blockchain to solve it. And we're like, hey, we can, we can do something here and we can really fix a lot of these inefficiencies. So that's how it all came together. Well, you're an old man in the blockchain space, huh? I do. I don't know, man. I think so. That's what they say. If you've been in for more than two years, you're like, you're an expert. But, you know, I will say this. The industry as a whole is, is really young. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's getting in now, I mean, it's it's just a growing industry. And I think I think anybody who's even kind of dipping their toe in the water is going to be learning a lot. And it's a great time. Nobody Nobody's too late. If anything, people are too early. Mm-hmm. So before we get into Turnio and address all the things that you just brought up, our backstory 
actually is that I did a preview on you guys. Uh, normally when I do a preview on a company, I normally don't hear any feedback or I get it retweeted or I get like a thanks or something like that, right? Almost regardless of what my opinion is. And you reached back and said, hey, some of our community reached out and said, there might be some unintentional inaccuracies and I just wanted to talk to you and clear it up. Doesn't have to be on the podcast or nothing. I just want to talk to you. And I was like, all right, cool. So we had a phone conversation, which was awesome. And it was so good. I said, man, I got to get you back on the show. We got to talk about your company. Sounds awesome. We, we kind of embrace controversy or we embrace um, different opinions, right? Because mm -hmm. at the very least, if somebody has a different opinion than, than Ternio, that's okay because, you know, it challenges our thought process. And if it doesn't change our thought process or challenge it, then at least we can help educate somebody. So I think, you know, first of all, it's great that you, you know, were like, you were receptive to, to talking. There are actually a lot of people, a lot of podcasts or just different people that have platforms mm -hmm. where, you know, they might be inaccurate, they might take a stance, and I, I reach out to them, and I never hear anything back. Really? And I think, too, that, that this you has happened. I, this has happened to you before? Oh, yeah. People, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that kind of do very quick due diligence on a project. And, right. You know, again, I think, I think they, they look at a lot of projects, and they kind of, you know, they can't spend a ton of time on everything. Right. And again, looking at, at a high level, sometimes, you know, a website doesn't do a great job of explaining everything right. in detail or, you know, again, they don't talk to the team. So anyway. Exactly. And that's exactly, be. and that's exactly what our previews are. It's, it's listeners said, Hey, can you check this out? I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. And I looked and I said, eh, you know, I, 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 spent, I, I seriously didn't spend that much time on it. Yeah. And so those snapshot decisions are important, but they're not everything. And that's why I even said on there, I don't know, maybe they'll hit an exchange. Uh, time will tell. I personally wouldn't spend money right now, not to say that I wouldn't. And so that's what they are. Man, that would be foolish to say, oh, I spent 10 minutes on something and here's my position and it's going to be like that forever. I think it's always wise to be open to seeing another point of view and having your mind change. So, dude, let's get into it, man. What is Turnio and... You already explained what it means. What do you guys do? You said programmatic advertisement. What is that? So um, at Turnio, what we've done is we've built a highly scalable blockchain framework. To our knowledge, it is currently the highest scaling and fastest blockchain framework currently available on the market. And when we got into it, we actually, um, our use case is going to be programmatic advertising. Um, that's the first industry we're tackling. It's not limited to that. I want to be clear, but it's the first one that we're tackling just based upon my background and Daniel and Brian's background. Right. Programmatic advertising is similar to high frequency trading on the stock market. So let's say a brand like Pepsi wants to buy an ad on yahoo.com. Pepsi doesn't contact yahoo.com directly. They actually both transact through a series of intermediaries. And you know, there could be 30 or 40 intermediaries actually involved within this ad transaction. But it all occurs in milliseconds. So Yahoo.com loads up. There might be five banner placements on that page or video placements on the page to be purchased. And then in real time, it is then sent through all these intermediaries in milliseconds. And Pepsi then decides based upon the user, the geolocation of that user, mm -hmm. any kind of cookie data they have, if they want to buy or if they don't want to buy it. And what happens is, is this creates a large amount of QPS, which is queries per second. Because if you think about, okay, go to one web page, there's five ads. Those are five opportunities. That user goes to 10 pages, mm -hmm. now that's 50 opportunities. Amplify that over many websites, many pages, many users, and you start to get trillions and trillions of opportunities over the course of months. Mm -hmm. And that creates a vast, it's a fire hose worth of information. And all of this needs to be transacted on the blockchain. 
And that's why we built something that has such a vast amount of scale. Does that all make sense? So back up. I imagine current advertising as, hey, Yahoo, I want to advertise here. I send an email and then they shoot me back a price. And then I agree or disagree. But if I agree, then boom, there's my advertisement on your page. You're saying it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. And back, back in the day, you know, back when, you know, Internet advertising was first starting out maybe, you know, late 90s. And mm-hmm. that was how it happened, right? But right. over time, the industry grew and more and more businesses entered the landscape. And now you have a brand, then you have an ad agency, then you have a DSP, which is essentially a, um, a bidding platform to essentially mm-hmm. activate campaigns. Then you have ad exchanges, then you have ad networks, then you have supply side platforms, which basically do the same thing as demand side platforms but they do it to optimize the yield for the publishers. And then there's a whole bunch of other providers in the ecosystem. There are data providers. There are providers that deal with ad fraud. There are different types of ad serving platforms because the way you serve a display banner placement isn't the same way you serve a native ad placement, and it's Mm. not the same way you serve a video placement. And there's actually, if if your audience wants to go look, there's a great article actually on Turnio's blog, and it's also on Hacker Noon. title is, you know, Why Turnio Built a Highly Scalable Blockchain Framework. And within that article, we actually show a picture of something called a Lumascape. And the Lumascape is basically an infographic put up by an investment bank called Luma Partners that has a really great presence in digital advertising. And they basically go through every single ad tech company and marketing tech company. And they say, okay, they put them all into brackets. And there are hundreds or thousands, really, of different companies. And they highlight all their different positions. And mm-hmm. you can really see how, how many players there are. It's a very bloated industry. So you're telling me there is an actual exchange type setup just for advertisement where you can just buy and sell spaces? Exactly right. So you have, you know, you have yahoo.com and then you have Google and, and there are all these different placements, but there are millions of different websites out there. Depending upon the brand that you're dealing with, there are hundreds of thousands of different sites you can be on. So some people want to target news, they want to target sports, they yeah. want to target gaming, then women's fashion. What are the existing platforms somebody would use to buy and sell advertisements on all these different websites? So there are many, right? Some deal with um, just desktop, some deal with mobile inventory, some deal with mobile web inventory versus mobile app inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest buying platform currently is a company called The Trade Desk. They're a public company, roughly $2 billion or so, and it's kind of the de facto platform that a lot of brands like to use. There are also great platforms like Amobi, DataZoo. I actually worked for a DSP in my past life called TapEd. TapEd actually did uh, cross-device activation, so essentially targeting ads. So uh, Aaron, if you're looking at a pair of shoes on Zappos and mm-hmm. then you feed your house and you're on your mobile device, then TapEd would actually be able to retarget you on your mobile device with the shoes you're looking at on your desktop device. So everybody kind of has a niche. Every company has a niche in this industry. And depending upon that brand or that agency and who they want to work with, there are different value props. Okay. So it becomes very, as I said, it's a very bloated industry and there is a lot of inefficiency. And anyway, so to bring that thought even a step further, what happens is all those buying platforms a lot of times they don't integrate directly with the end website. They work with an exchange because the exchange has a lot of scale because that exchange has multiple websites already onboarded onto their platform. Well, I'm going to bounce around a little bit because first, I don't think we can talk about the user interface or the site that somebody would go to use you guys without talking about one lexicon and two, your blockchain. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah. So this is actually a very important point about... Um, about Turnio, and it's, it's what a lot of people, frankly, get wrong. So there are companies in the blockchain space that are building ad networks or ad exchanges mm-hmm. on blockchain. Turnio is different. We actually don't get involved 
with any of the core competencies um, of the companies that use our framework. So we don't do any ad serving, we don't do any kind of yield management, we don't do any kind of data targeting, unlike a lot of these other blockchain companies. There are a lot of problems in ad tech, right? I, I kind of touched on them briefly. Yes. Um, lengthy payment terms, a lot of inefficiency, right. um, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of companies that are really trustworthy companies, great companies to work with, that control billions, if not tens of billions of dollars of ad spend already flowing through their pipes. So my feeling, and our, I should say our feeling at Turnio, is that it makes a lot more sense to build a framework that these companies can use rather than building a platform that essentially competes with them. Mm. Because I think that, you know, if you are, let's just say, an ad exchange and you're controlling tens of billions of dollars, you're not just going to roll over for the next blockchain ad network that pops up and is going to, you know, essentially try to eat your lunch. You're eventually going to try to build something. But the problem is, is that as an ad exchange, you cannot be the provider of the blockchain. You cannot essentially grade your own homework and right. verify the quality of your media spend. Right. So I think that's really where Turnio's value prop is, is that we understand programmatic advertising. We built a highly scalable blockchain framework that can support that high QPS, essentially logging every mm -hmm. single ad impression, individual ad placement on a page onto the blockchain. And we give those benefits to companies that already control the ad spend. We say, listen, you're a great company, you're trustworthy, we just want to give you this framework to improve your business and give you a competitive advantage over companies that are not blockchain enabled. So tell me an example of you're going to walk in, you're going to pitch Turnio to an advertisement company. You're going to say, here's my pitch in two minutes. Obviously, blockchain is already confusing to most people anyways, right? And you're building something amazing, but you still have to sell it. How do you sell it in a simplified manner? So it's a niche market. And basically, the people that we're selling to already understand the problem. So it might be better if I kind of highlight the problems, which is from the advertiser side, right? Okay. You know, roughly 50% of ad spend goes to this supply chain that I was talking about. So Pepsi, they put a dollar into the ecosystem, only 50 cents or so makes it to the publisher, which is Yahoo, right? That's problem number one. They're, that creates a very low ROI. Last year, digital advertising as a whole is roughly $224 billion last year. $18 billion alone went to some form of advertising fraud. So in digital mm -hmm. advertising, fraud is just kind of a a part of doing business. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah. The other well, problem too it's is like a retail business, right? Like Walmart says, no, we're going to get 3% stolen every year. And so 3% is, you know, that's, that's lower, right? $18 billion. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot of money. That's right. Um, so that's another problem. Third one is that there is a complete lack of transparency. So 50 cents of every dollar goes to the supply chain, but Pepsi and Yahoo both don't know what percentages are being taken. Right? People uh, have contracts and agreements, but nobody really knows what's going on. And the fourth problem is that the publisher like Yahoo sometimes has to wait up to 120 days to be paid. And that hurts the publishers from a cash flow perspective. Those are the four big, big issues right now in programmatic advertising. So when we go into pitch an advertiser, they understand this. Basically what happens is the advertisers want to be able to understand where they're spending media and they want to get better ROI. Right? They want to know that if I'm running a video ad for Pepsi, that people are going to the Pepsi website or they're going into their local convenience store and they're buying Pepsi. So that's the first thing. So anyway, when we walk into the agencies, the advertisers, whoever we're pitching it to, we say, listen, you know that 50% of your ad spend is being wasted. You just don't know what 50%. And let's say some agencies are really, really dialed in and they're only wasting, let's say, 10 or 20% of their ad spend. Well, what Turnio does is we only take 1% of their total spend. And we essentially say, listen, we're going to tell you exactly where your media spend is going. 
we're going to do it in a programmatic environment. So your media buying team does not need to change the way they buy media. They're going to continue working with all the same partners. Mm-hmm. And by paying us only 1%, you're basically paying us 1% to regain that 10 or 20% that you're losing. In best case scenario, you're, you're paying 1% to Turnio to regain the 49% that you're wasting. So advertisements never been, I mean, it's just not something that I spent a ton of time on because it's kind of like one of those things where, well, you just put a Facebook ad or any small business advertising is important, but we never really think about how the whole process works from beginning to end and where some of those monies could be lost getting to your target market. How does one track their return on investment using you guys. Is that even possible or is that not going to exist with your framework? Um, ROI is, is very important, but let's, let's take a step back because, again, we, we are not competitive with the companies we partnered with, right? So in terms of tracking clicks, impressions, did somebody walk into the store? Those are going to be the uh, existing ad tech companies okay. that a brand like Pepsi works with. What Turnio is going to do is we're actually so we provide the the high transacting, highly scalable Lexicon framework to actually enable this to function in a programmatic environment. We also provide a user interface, and this is to not only the agencies, but everybody, every company up and down the supply chain from the advertiser to the end publisher. This is a crypto podcast. We all understand blockchain, decentralized ledgers, wallets, this that the other thing, right? All the terminology. In ad tech, frankly, nobody really cares, right? Because that's just complicated, and that's that's that additional things that people need to learn that takes them away from their day-to-day duties. Yes. So what we're doing is we're providing a user interface that is very simple to understand, and it basically shows, okay, here's your campaign. You spent $100,000 at your Pepsi. $5,000 went to your, your buying platform. $10,000 went to your ad exchange. You know, uh, $80,000 went to your, your publisher who you partnered with. And essentially, we're going to show exactly where your money went. But what's mm-hmm. nice about that is that it's also going to show the partners who Pepsi and Yahoo might not even know that they're working with. Mm. And they're going to be like, wait a second, you know, what is Ian's ad network that's sitting somewhere in the middle of the supply chain that I'm paying 25% to? I didn't even know I was working with Ian's ad network, right? So that's a problem. The other thing that's that's important too is that, so basically when when an advertiser buys media, they work on something called an an insertion order, right? Those are basically the deal terms. What we do is, is we know that as a smart contract. Our UI is also going to show where that smart contract breaks down. And that's really important too, because now both the, the publisher and the buyer are going to understand, wait, this one company, the smart contract keeps breaking down. So one, are they doing something nefarious, which they shouldn't be, and, and they're not honoring my deal terms, right, creating some kind of ad fraud? Mm-hmm. Or two, is it just a technical issue? And do we just need to figure it out through you know, different tags or some kind of engineering team involvement? Mm-hmm. And so by visualizing it and making it very simple, we can create um, a really nice value prop for everybody that's involved within the transaction of an advertisement. Talk a little bit about Lexicon. What is Lexicon? Why is it so awesome? I appreciate you saying it's awesome, first off. That's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Lexicon is its the name of our, our blockchain. What we did is we actually, you could think of it as a, a fork of IBM's Hyperledger fabric. We use basically a combination of IBM's Hyperledger and uh, Stellar. And so each one provides a really unique use case um, for, well, our specific use case, which is, uh, well, let me take a step back. So Hyperledger is great. Team at IBM, they're awesome. They've been really supportive, too, about, you know, what we're building. So Hyperledger is great because it enables you to obfuscate certain terms of a B2B agreement. So like a lot of other blockchains, everything is decentralized. Everything is open. Everything is readily available. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with enterprise contracts, which is what we're dealing with, you know, Pepsi and Yahoo and all these big companies, yeah. they 
all of those details can't be shown to everybody. And so what I mean by that is, I'm going to give an example. Let's say Yahoo says to Pepsi, hey, Pepsi, if you spend $10,000, or I'm sorry, $10 million with me this quarter, um, I'm going to give you better pricing. Pepsi says, that's great. And so, you know, they, they do the deal, the, the transaction runs through, but both Pepsi and Yahoo don't want Coke and AOL knowing about this. Right, right? of course. And so what we were trying to prevent is we didn't want the blockchain to become a competitive intelligence tool for brands to essentially get one over on the other one. Right. And so IBM's Hyperledger Fabric actually solves for this, where you can obfuscate certain terms of an agreement while still making it fully transparent to everybody who's involved in the transaction, but also fully decentralized to everybody who's running a node. So that's kind of the, the key element that IBM's Hyperledger Fabric uh, plays. Stellar is actually really important because they have a very, very cheap price to confirm the transactions. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you take something like Ethereum, Ethereum is limited in terms of roughly 20 transactions or so per second, so it doesn't scale, but it also has a very high gas price, right? Mm -hmm. $2, maybe $2.50 at times. Stellar is really interesting because it essentially costs about a thousandth of a penny to verify a transaction. And that is really important because when you're selling an ad impression on a mobile device for 20 cents, you can't spend $2 to verify. Mm. So that's the role that Stellar plays is that it's very cheap to verify the ad transactions um, at scale. So you married the two. They had a baby. Lexicon is the baby. That is correct. Now, why is the third-party verification so significant then? Oh, you're talking about when Nobosh came in, they actually... Yes. Did our, our audit. Yes, yes. When you do research on you guys, that's front and center, right? Not just on your website, but in articles as well of why this is so important. A, the transaction speeds, but B, what I thought I understood, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you needed to do the third-party verification for the security and the confidentiality agreements between the parties and to protect some of your IP. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Correct, correct. So yeah, a couple couple things to unpack there. When we were, you know, early on in, in our conversations being build Lexicon, we were doing all the stuff we were telling people that you know, people were like, well, well, you know, you proprietary blockchain, cool, what are you transacting at? We're like, uh, it's roughly about a million or so. And people said two things. Either one, wow, or two, that's bullshit. You yeah. guys are lying to us. Yes. <laughs> and so and that's what and, the comments are, dude. It's like it's like split down the middle with the comments. Yeah. Truth be told, we talked about previews, but I said I always wanna make sure I prepare a little bit more before these interviews. And so I did some more research and started looking into it a little bit more. And that's right down the middle, it seems like, between the two. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's true. And here's the thing, too. When we actually got into this, we didn't even realize at first what we had built, right? Because we were building for programmatic advertising. That was always going to be the first industry that we're applying this to. And people are like, wait a second, if you have a blockchain that can do a million transactions or so per second, why, why aren't you doing like the, the trillion dollar commodities market? Why aren't you doing this, that, the other thing? And well, our feeling was that, well, listen, I mean, we, we have experience in digital advertising. We have intimate knowledge of the industry. It's, a, it's not a trillion-dollar industry, but it's a $224 billion industry, so it's still substantial. And we can actually execute, right? And execution is key because there are a whole bunch of projects out there that, that promise the world and fail to deliver. And so we're like, we know we can execute on it. So anyway, as we started going through this process, to your point, it was split down the middle. Some people believed us. Some people didn't. We said, okay, well, our model is in licensing out this framework. Right. So we can't just open source it and give it away for free. Right. So how do we help people understand this? And so what we did is we ended up hiring well, we went through a couple different firms that we, you know, were trying to get to verify this this process. And eventually we settled on a 
a firm called uh, Null Dash, which is from a guy named uh, Nico. And Nico actually was a consultant over at Accenture and uh, PwC and has a lot of intimate knowledge on, on blockchain. And what we said to him was that, listen, people don't believe us, frankly. And so what we need is we need your third-party audit to essentially come in there, look at our team, meet our team, talk to our developers. You know, are they capable guys? Look at our source code. You know, let's put together a test. You know, we ran, <laughs> it's crazy, we ran this test um, and there's a video on our YouTube channel. You can actually go check it out, or it's on our website too. Uh, where essentially we had to run, uh, we hit 1.5 million transactions or so per second at its peak. It was hovered around, I think, like 1.1 million transactions per second. Mm-hmm. But we basically showed, you know, that we have the capability to do all this. But the cost to run this verification, just between server costs, you know, having flood.io, we needed special approval from from Amazon, from Google. DigitalOcean to get these servers because it was over 3,000 servers that we had to spool up on an hourly basis. Anyway, long story short, it ended up costing us about $100,000 just to run this transaction test. But we felt it was really important because it gave somebody else insight into what we're doing. And they can basically say, hey, I checked it out. These guys are legit and they can do what they say they can do. And so that was really important for us. You mentioned the Amazon Web Services and all the things you had to do to jump through the Hulu hoops. I remember during the preview, I was like, dude, take the thank you to Amazon Web Services. It looks cheesy. And then you talk to me on the phone and you're like, here's what everything we had to do to do. And here's why we did it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) because, you know, because, you know, man, look, in this space, some companies will align themselves with they'll say something fancy that makes it seem like they're aligned with somebody, but they're really not. And you see it all the time, man. And uh, for me, it's just a ploy that I've come to try to call out. And then once you said it, I was like okay i got you <laughs> that's fair it's so, it's such a fair thing too and it, it's so funny like you know we have a we have a super passionate community right and you know our telegram is roughly you know twenty thousand or so people and and when you know your initial podcast came out people are like this guy's just trying to take down Turdio, and i'm like all right let's you know we'll have a conversation and we did and again it was really cool for you to to to, to talk with me about it because um it's good but again it's like now you get the other side of the story that's and right. so the whole thing with amazon was that so we initially tried to get something going with amazon and we're like, uh, you know, we're, we want to start with like 2,600 servers. And Amazon was like, no, we'll give you 20 servers. And we're like, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And so we ended up having to call in a special favor from just one of our business connections that we have that had somebody high up over at AWS, Amazon's serving division. You know, we kind of explained, hey, we're trying to run this transaction report. It's, you know, we need all these servers on an hourly basis. And here's what we're trying to accomplish. And after a whole lot of back and forth, Amazon was like, okay, this makes sense. You know, we're going to watch you guys really closely just to make sure you're not doing something you shouldn't be doing or trying to spam people or hurt people. Or I know it caused a lot of concern on Amazon's side. And then eventually they granted us the approval and we kind of had to daisy chain Amazon with Google Cloud and DigitalOcean to get the capacity we needed. But anyway, long story short, that's why there is kind of a special thank you to Amazon. They didn't make us put it in, but we felt it would be nice to say, hey, thanks for helping us out. The other thing that I read when I was looking, uh, doing some research was the it seemed like a controversy but i don't know but there was some rub between you guys being decentralized versus democratized what was that what is that about so i won't take a side on it but basically so we built lexicon right and we solve for both a b2b use case mm-hmm. and a p2p use case right peer-to-peer or business to business right and going back to what i was saying before is that there are certain elements of of a transaction that need to be obfuscated. So only the parties that are involved in, in a, a transaction will have access to all the details of that transaction, right? So that's important because you only have, you know, maybe 30 or 40 nodes that are actually verifying this. So it's permission, right? 
Mm-hmm. So while it's fully decentralized amongst the companies that are involved in that ad transaction, it's not fully democratized, right? Going to the competitive intelligence where, you know, why can't, you know, somebody who's running a, a five-year-old Dell in, you know, their mom's basement, why can't they be part of that, you know, that high-speed transaction and get competitive intelligence as to what, you know, Pepsi mm-hmm. is spending on Yahoo? Right. And so that was how the debate came about, where some people feel, oh, it's not, it's not really, you know, it's not really blockchain if there's only 40, 40 nodes involved in the transaction. Yeah. And our feeling is, listen, I mean, it is, it is. because it's not just one entity, yeah. but you have to understand the use case and why we just can't give everybody access to it. Absolutely. Um, and listen, everybody has their own opinion. Yeah. We're not trying to convince you, you know, we're right or wrong. We're just trying to say, hey, this is how we're approaching it. We, you know, it's gotten good reception in digital advertising. People understand that because they do have concerns about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we understand that people might have a different opinion. Yeah. Of course, the fully decentralized aspect yeah. is what drew me into blockchain, right? But once I learned that there has to be a balance, especially depending on industries and industry-specific use cases with blockchain, it just made a lot of sense. So, yeah. But and I did see quite a bit of that. Yeah, and you're right, too, right? Because blockchain inherently brings trust to any kind of trustless environment. And you do that through the decentralized aspect, and you do it through having you know, a system of, of checks and balances, right? And that's yeah. really important. But the other thing, too, that you know, in order to get to over a million transactions or so per second, <laughs> you can't run that on your, on your iPhone or, or your five-year-old Dell. You actually need custom hardware as well. Yeah. And so that's the other element of it, is that you can't, one, for competitive reasons, you, you can't get that information. But two, even if you could, you would not have the actual physical hardware that an enterprise company would have in order to run that. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I think where the debate is. And listen, I mean, these debates are good, right? Because they, they challenge conventional thinking, which is really important. And I think as a whole, it's really going to help to move the entire industry forward. Is your guys' token sale closed? It's done. It, it ended uh, June 15th. Okay. How'd you guys do? We did well. We did well. We actually aren't going to... So we do a lot of things that aren't conventional at Turnio. Okay. Um, and what we, we did hit our soft cap. Our soft cap was $3 million. Um, and we raised more than that, but we're actually not announcing how much we raised. Okay. Um, and that's just to stop any kind of speculation on the markets. So Good. we did well. We have uh, enough uh, resources to get to market and to execute on the partnerships that we've already signed and to sign more. And we're hiring people now as well. So if anybody's listening and Terio sounds cool and you want to come work for us, you know, please let us know. How are the tokens going to function? There are a couple of different ways, but basically the turn token is essentially tied to the smart contract. So all the ad dollars that flow into Turnio's system, they basically are going to be pushed through that turn token on our platform. That's one. Two, I'm not sure how far you got through our white paper, but we also have something called a block card. The block card is going to be, initially it's going to be given to the publishers on our platform, the websites, basically the people that receive the money. But any general consumer, once we release the block card, will actually be able to use their cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ether, whatever, on a physical debit card. And that will actually, those Bitcoin, Ether, et cetera, will be transitioned to turn as well to be used on that physical debit card. You guys did register with the SEC. And you are you guys considered a security? Do you consider yourselves a security? We, so it, dep- it depends where you are. So we are a U.S.-based company, right? Yes. And so the United States government has come out and they said, any ICO is a security, period, right? Okay. Whereas you know, recently they come out and say Bitcoin and Ethereum are not. Right. So that's that's one element. Yes. If we were, let's say, headquartered in Switzerland. Right. Switzerland has three categories. They have securities, they have currencies and they have utilities. And so while the the way we position is, is the while the, the turn token actually functions as a utility on our platform, 
and it is actually tied to the transaction of, of money, basically fiat to crypto back to fiat. Yes. Um, we have to abide by the rules of the U.S. government. And that means that it is a security um, until the U.S. government, you know, maybe changes their position, maybe doesn't. And so anyway, long story short, we wanted to do everything on the up and up because when we were starting Turnio, there was a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, frankly, we've talked to so many lawyers and every lawyer has a different opinion. And some go see that. Some go really far and they, they do a lot of kind of fear mongering and they try to scare you and this and, and some are more like, hey, you know, we just don't really know. And so we're not getting involved yet. <laughs> um, so what we tried to do is we wanted to do the right thing. Right. So we did all the KYC and the AML for our token sale, had people sign token purchase agreements, SAFT agreements. If you were a U.S. based uh, resident, you actually can only participate if you were accredited investor. Yep. And so anyway, the reason why we, we did all these things, which frankly made it a lot more challenging for us to uh, sell the token, That's right. was that we didn't know where the market was going. And so if we got you know six months, nine months down the road, and the government came knocking, we could say, hey, we're not trying to screw anybody over here, right? We're trying to do the right thing, cross the T's, dot the I's. We registered with the SEC because it's the right thing to do. Yes. Um, frankly, it's not that hard. So if anybody's listening and they're, they're thinking about launching an ICO, I highly, highly recommend registering with the SEC it's very easy, and if you're not doing anything wrong, it really shouldn't be a problem. And that's um, what I and that's what I said on my last podcast. Again, I'm not an expert at it. I actually am very intrigued with the Jobs Act and the SEC regulations. And Howard Marks, I think I mentioned him last time we talked from Start Engine, is a big advocate of any ICO can launch. You just got to do it right, and they offer the platform. And he said the same thing. It's very easy to register with the SEC. Your crowdfunding or your ICO. It doesn't matter. You just got to, here are the rules. And if you play this game, you're going to be good to go. And it only costs thousands of dollars, not even tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and with that, that's the thing. That's and here's, and so here was the alternative for us was that, okay, we could go set up in, in Malta or Estonia or Cayman Islands or whatever and raise a bunch of money and not follow any of the, the, the U.S. regulations, right? Mm-hmm. But that's going to be really tough for our use case because, you know, we are a U.S.-based company based out of Delaware, Delaware LLC, and we're trying to partner with major, major, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And so they're not gonna wanna partner with a company that is, you know, based in Estonia and can just disappear one day, right? They right. need some security that you're gonna be following the same rules and regulations that that, you know, massive company is. So mm-hmm. we thought that was right. And it's funny too, Daniel and I were at, there's a blockchain conference in Raleigh, North Carolina, it's called Cryptolina. We were there and we were actually getting into this, this whole conversation where, the U.S. government, you know, they kind of understand if they're not flexible with blockchain and crypto regulation, all these companies are just going to up and leave and move to another country, right? right? And so the U.S. government doesn't want that, but they also want to make sure the everyday buyer is not getting taken advantage of. Yes. So, you know, regulation is a good thing. And following Reg D is a good thing. So yeah. you share that you're on the up and up and you want to play by the rules. I agree. And before the, the preview, I didn't know if you guys did or didn't. So, okay. I got two questions for you. Number one, are you willing to come back on the show so we can just talk about the reasons why companies are raising the hard caps that they're raising? Because we're crypto 101. We are the average consumers. And so what you said was the average consumer is the people who now have an opportunity to invest in these startups and act like angel investors. There are some small hurdles, right? There are some fears. But overall, this is a whole new market for us. We're happy. And what the average consumer doesn't understand is seed rounds, first round, second round, why a 
technology company needs $40 million and what are the misconceptions behind it or why somebody does that? Because the issue that our community has is we ask the question, but nobody will give the answer anyways, right? It's some cryptic answer that just doesn't make sense. And we, we as a community, even on Crypto 101, I believe, haven't received or had anybody willing to talk about why or how it works in that way. So would you be willing so, to come back on so we can just shoot on that one? One, yes, absolutely. I'll even get Daniel and Brian to come on board because they've had experiences that I haven't even had. So they have a lot of insight. So we'll do that. We all just talk a lot too. So you might have to like mute us at times. But yeah, <laughs> let me also say, it's, it's all good. Add, there's a lot of, I'm just going to call it, you know, just bullshit that occurs when you're launching an ICO. And I'll give you one example. Whereas, you know, our hard cap was set at $40 million. We, you know, that's a lot of money. We settled on that because in ad tech, uh, it's not uncommon for companies to raise 50 to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our advisors, Auntie, works for a company Kiosk. Kiosk actually raised $70 million. And when you're dealing with enterprise, $40 million by comparison is, is not as much, right? right? So that's how we set it on that. Again, it's a global industry. We, we want to have physical presence in, you know, in London, in Singapore, in Sydney, Australia, where all these agencies are. But um, it's still a lot of money. So what happened is people are like, ah, $40 million, that's too much. You know, in blockchain, you should, you should only raise like 20 Right. And like, but but that doesn't, you know, the magic number. <laughs> you know, well, here's the, you know, you're you're comparing us to, you know, companies that are that are not tackling an industry as big or have a different business or they're a DAP, they're not a protocol, and so we're like, you know, you got to understand, and we, and we walk people through our business model, and, you know, why we felt this was the appropriate number to settle on, not because we're being greedy, but because this is what we feel that we need to, in order to just maintain our first mover advantage and just steamroll that market. But really, here's here's what it came down to: a lot of groups called syndicates, called it investors, whatever you want. They said, no, nah, like if you could actually just lower it to 15, we'll actually just buy your entire route. And we're like, mm-hmm. well, what do you mean by that? They're like, we'll just buy it out. And so what they want to do, and this is what it came down to, is that they didn't care as much about the business or the use case or actually getting real world adoption of blockchain and crypto. They just cared about how am I going to 10x yes. so I can get this on Binance. Mm-hmm. And that's why they want the low cap, because it's much harder to 10x at a $40 million cap than at a $10 million cap. Mm-hmm. And there's all this stuff that occurs. People that come on board, they want to be advisors, they're going to do this, that, the other thing. They're going to pump it up, don't worry. And that's not right. You know, that's not, that's basically, you're taking advantage of the retail investor who right. comes along and they might believe in a, in a project and they want to, you know, help have a piece of it or, or move it forward or they're going to use the, the product. And these guys are just about, you know, how am I going to get my money, dump the token, 100%. and leave everything hold back. And that's, that's what's really bad. Yeah, it's not good. And, and that's where and that's some of the reasons for our questions as a community in the crypto 101 space is, is that reason. Right. And that's where, yeah, we want full decentralization. But even the and maybe the people who first got into the space, even such as myself, or saying like given the middle finger to the institutions still needs the institutions. The SEC is pure at heart in that they do want to protect us. They want to protect the retail investor. What is your guys' reason for pushing so hard to the average consumer? Because if your business is essentially B2B, why are you pushing so hard for the average consumer to know who you guys are? And is that because Yes, your your first industry is the programmatic advertisement, but you see other industries and use cases where the grassroots community is is going to be excited about here in the future. Yeah, it's so funny. We actually didn't even get into that, and I, <laughs> we got we got we went so far in the weeds. It's that yeah. So we've actually had a lot of companies reach out to us, and they go, 
oh, you know, I'm doing a, a peer-to-peer, you know, local payment platform for, you know, local businesses, and I need something that's going to transact, you know, a, a lot of a lot of volume. Um, can I license Lexicon? And we're like, sure, you know, we could do that. Again, it's going to take some some dev and some build out. Um, you know, we actually have NDAs with two very very large companies that actually want to license our tech because. Um, and these are both household names. I, I can't share because we're under sure. NDA, but but they want to. Um, they have different use cases, and and their use cases it requires a, a high TPS blockchain as well. And so we're happy to license that out, right? And so while programmatic advertising is the first industry we're going to tackle, it's not the only one. We just really want to focus on that because again, our our belief is that if you can show real world adoption and execution, that builds a lot of confidence in not only the B two B market but also the consumer market. The other thing too is that you know the block card, while it is starting as a B two B play, you know it could be used by consumers, so it's important to advocate for them. But also too, a lot of like a peer to peer local payments platform that if Turnio licensed Lexicon out to in our blockchain technology, that's going to be valuable too. So I don't think it's about in the short term convincing anybody about hey, it's more of a retail play, it's more of a B two B play. Mm-hmm. It's just about here's what Turnio is doing, here's the roadmap, here's where we see it going and its application. And if that's going to be valuable to you, then, you know, we'd love to have your support. And it's funny, too, not to not to continue going on on a tangent, but a lot of the early buyers of turn tokens were decision makers at these ad tech companies. Right. Mm. They're like, OK, I get what you're doing. You're solving this problem. This makes sense. I'm going to deploy your tech. But can I buy fifty thousand dollars worth? Is that is that cool? Is that, you know, and we're like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you if you actually want to help advocate for it and you see yourself benefiting from it. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what we want. Because listen, there are a lot of people that have money, but the strategic value is also really important to us. When you talked about, and I understand that there's the framework involved. Do you see anything in the future where small business owners can utilize Turnio directly, or will they always have to use some kind of third-party company that's licensing your your software? You know, it could be. Here's here's kind of the, I think it's like the entrepreneur's fallacy. You try to do too many things at once, and you don't do anything really well. It's a, it's a crawl, lock, run approach. Mm. And right now, it's programmatic advertising. Got it. In the future, I think there's a lot of application. Sure. I think the sky's the limit, honestly. But we want to be really careful because if we start trying to do all these things and we spread ourselves really thin, you know, we're, we're building a business now, right? And we want to grow our team and our company fiscally responsibly. We want to build a strong foundation of employees that share our values and our mindset and are going to work hard and be determined. You know, I think the B2B enterprise industry is, is the right place for us to start and to be focused. But yeah, we have no reservations about applying this to many other industries. If we can partner with somebody and they can license our tech, that's huge. Mm. If we can enter it ourselves because nobody else is doing it, we'll, we'll evaluate that as well. So as a team, how do you guys not fail? You outlined everybody's experience r- roughly, right? Or why you guys came to be. You have to execute. How are you guys not going to fail? Persistence is the answer. We're building something that nobody else has built before. Blockchain that can scale to this. It's my partner and CTO, Brian, like say, it's like, you know, we're walking on the moon for the first time. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And so the only way that we can ensure we don't fail is that we work hard. And frankly, Daniel, myself, Brian, we're working seven days a week. And so there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. But if we're persistent and we work more than everybody else, we can just put more hours into the day than everybody else. That's how we can do it. And again, we want to have a team that supports us. They're curious. They're not looking to just do the minimum. They're frankly looking to work their asses off and build something that nobody else has built before. And I think everybody has a different motivation, but I think everybody that we have currently on Turnio's team is super committed and they love the challenge of building something and being a part of something that's never been done before. Ian Kane, 
Thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, listen, Aaron, uh, I really appreciate you making the time for me. Whenever you invite us back, I'm bringing Daniel and Brian back on the show. We love talking about this stuff. Love talking about blockchain and crypto and, and digital advertising. I really appreciate you being being flexible and, and willing to speak with me early on. And, and I, I enjoy talking with you, man. So thank you. Hey, we'll talk soon. All righty. Cheers. Thanks again. Later, brother. Bye. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Check out the links on the show notes and don't forget to subscribe to Crypto 101 Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox and leave a positive review. Follow me on Twitter at SupAaronPaul. You can also follow the podcast as well on Twitter at ICO101Podcast. Until next time, peace.